Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. On this beautiful day, I have the blessing to share with you Gina Caputo better known as Captain Colorado and the founder of the Colorado School of Yoga, where the mission and vision is to elevate yoga education. I have always thought that yoga is a practice of cultivating extraordinary consciousness. And when you think about it that way, that's kind of like at the core, you know, living fully, being of service, learning, being a teacher by example, all of those things can benefit from extraordinary consciousness. And and when I say extraordinary consciousness, I don't really mean anything fancy. It it goes back to that clearing the fog. Extraordinary consciousness is just simply non-ordinary consciousness. And without any practice or teachings, most of us are likely to get mired in ordinary consciousness. Tune in and get ready to dive deep on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec and such a pleasure to be here with you today. I sit here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado in the newly established Colorado School of Yoga. Sitting across from its founder in Boulder's very own badass and better known as Captain Colorado. Gina Caputo. Gina, thank you so much for taking time out of the crazy schedule that you have to reveal to us what yoga is to you. Oh, thank you. And what an intro. I'd love it if you could be my hype man forever. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, man, Colorado School of Yoga, it is such a true blessing to see this building grow from the ground up. Indeed. What yeah, a, what a blessing. it was dirt a few months ago, and now we've actually got a school. Amazing. I'm blessed to be a part of the school. I'm here in the 300-hour uh, training, and Agina has such a gift when it comes to accessibly offering anatomy. And that's what I find that I'm constantly <laughs> learning more and more from Gina. But, you know, we like to start the podcast off with just a synopsis of who you are. For people and our listeners who don't know who you are, they don't know where you're coming from, and I'd love for you to express your your path that you've gone to before yoga, mm-hmm. from being the, the assistant that you were for many years, yeah. for many incredible teachers, yeah. to sitting here in this beautiful building. Well, sure. Uh, so my path was uh, at the end of college, when I was in, at UC San Diego, and at the end of college, I had a few credits that I needed to fill. And so, mind you, this was quite a long time ago. I took a class called weight training, and it was really just because I needed two credits, and that's what was available. And there was a woman who was older than everyone else in the class, uh, and uh, the teacher was this wonderfully nice, but also very stereotypical weightlifter type of dude. 
And this older woman asked him if by any chance we could start every class with yoga. And mind you, this is 1994. So it was before what I would call like the big yoga boom. So I have so much respect for her for being older than everyone and then kind of, you know, having the chutzpah to say, hey, can I start these classes with yoga? And then maybe even more amazing is that the teacher said, sure. And so we rolled out these big, thick exercise mats, the types that have like little stick drawings of the exercises you're supposed to do. And they're, you know, like two and a half inches thick. We'd roll those out on the grass and go through sun salutations. And these were my first experiences, other than seeing lilies fallen on PBS at home. These were the first experiences I had with yoga. So fast forward, we're doing this for, you know, uh, 10 minutes at the beginning of class or 15 minutes. And I remember vividly the first time we ever did tree pose. And I was just going along because I'm a pretty open-minded person and, you know, I didn't have any resistance to anything. But I also didn't exactly think it was the most amazing thing in the world until we did tree pose. And at that point in my life, I was juggling, oh, you know, about as many things as I'm juggling right now. And I had a full-time job and a full uh, load at school. And there was a moment when we did the, you know, pull your leg, your foot up to your leg, that I felt like the whole world went quiet for just a moment. And it was in that moment that I realized the potency of this thing called yoga, and that it was more than stretching, because I experienced this inner quietude just in that one pose that was very unfamiliar to me, particularly at that time in my life. So uh, I logged that and continued, you know, that semester, had a great experience. But uh, yoga was not as abundant in San Diego at that time. There was a couple of Yangar studios, and I went to those and didn't fall in love. Uh, it was very, very strict and uh, just didn't suit me at that time. Um, so then uh, my husband and I started a business right after college, and uh, we ended up moving to Kansas City, Missouri, to be close to my mom and my much younger brother. And while we were there, I had the opportunity, well, I was working, you know, we, we had like 18 hour days uh, developing websites and that was our, that was our company. Mm -hmm. And again, this is back in the nineties when the, it wasn't so easy to build your own. You really needed a programmer to do it. <laughs> so that's what we were in the business of doing and long days at desks. And I started to experience a lot of stress, a lot of physical discomfort and ended up going uh, to the nearby gym that now had you know, classes. So I started to go to class every day and meanwhile still running this web development business. And uh, after a bit, uh, all of the teachers, and they were all fitness teachers, they all needed to go to some continuing education. So there was no one left to teach yoga. And so they asked me, they said, well, you're here every day. Uh, how do you feel about teaching this weekend? And I was like, well, sure, you know, I'll just slap on that headset mic and basically just copy them, you know, and that's what we did. I just <laughs> mimicked exactly what I had done with them with the headset mic. And uh, this room, we kept it dark uh, with, there was like those little star stickers on the ceiling and like Christmas lights <laughs> around the mirror. It was fantastic. And, uh, and the weight room was above us. So people would drop <laughs> weights. And then the nursery was next to us. So... It was a real yoga practice of pratyahara and withdrawing the senses. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so uh, when the teachers came back, there were some positive reviews from the students. And so they asked me if I wanted to start teaching. And so I did it very part-time, of course, just for the love of it. And it was um, in Kansas City that I ended up meeting my first teacher, Max Strom. Mm -hmm. And so Max had a connection with two uh, women who owned a studio in Kansas City uh, that I had never been to, that I had never even heard of. So I got my hands on a flyer for his workshop, and uh, when I went to the studio, uh, the flyer didn't have his picture on it. And when I went to the studio, I was kind of you know introducing myself to people and having a good old time, just so excited now to be doing more yoga. 
And uh, it turns out that one of the, the people that I had introduced myself to uh, was the teacher. I didn't know that because I met him outside the studio. And so there I was going, wow, I'm so excited. And I was saying that to the teacher, which I'm really happy about because it left a positive impression. And so I continued then to fly out to L.A. where he was based with some frequency to study with him. And eventually um, he decided that he wanted to open a school in uh LA on the west side and so he called me up and asked uh, you know when are you moving to Los Angeles and I said well hopefully never and he said well I I'd really love for you to help me open this school and you have the right combination of love and respect for yoga but also some business savvy so bottom line is my husband had just started law school and we decided the timing was great if I went out there for about six months to help them get the school going. And it ended up being two years of running that school. Uh, and it was during that time uh, that I had the opportunity to be exposed to amazing teachers from around the world that would come to our school and, and teach. It also gave me the opportunity to study, obviously, in depth with Max, and part of studying with him was um, basically apprenticing with him. So I had requirements for the number of classes I had to take with him, but then also the number that I assisted with, I assisted him in every week. And in retrospect, I realized that during that time, the two years that I was there, I can't tell you how many teacher trainings I took or sat in on, uh, those were amazing, but it was the assisting that I felt like I was really, really learning. And it was something that, you know, we did as SEVA. It was an investment in our own education, so not, not something you get paid for, and so it's a lot of time. And, uh, you know, these days it's, it's rare that someone's willing to do that. Um, then uh, I also, that's where I met uh, one of the teachers on our staff was Shiva Ray. And Shiva was such an interesting and amazing counterpoint to Max, who is, you know, really the embodiment of that steady masculine energy and was perfect for me as I got started in yoga. And he really taught me all the fundamentals, all the foundation, all the philosophy. And he, I, I really attribute to him uh, the desire to always be accessible. And you used that word earlier. And it's like one of the most meaningful compliments to me is that I seem accessible. Mm -hmm. And I attribute really that to Max, this teaching to the people rather than to the, you know, 1% that maybe have a background in something that makes asana easy for them or genetics or whatever. So um, anyway, then there's Shiva, who is the ecstatic feminine. And that was really uh, extraordinary for me to then, through um, practicing with her, and then I assisted her for 10 years. <laughs> um, that really was wonderful for me to not only develop that uh, kind of side of my teaching, but also that side of me as a person, as a woman, you know, and it's always been interesting because I was very much a tomboy. And so it was a great opportunity to, to really be introspective uh, and also see how it's really essential that both are represented, that whole concept of Shiva Shakti or in other traditions, yin and yang. And I had teachers that really represented that whole spectrum. Um, and so then again with Shiva, uh, it really started out with assisting her public classes and then over 10 years assisting on retreats to uh, India, to Greece, to Costa Rica, um, and then teacher trainings. The main ones were always in, at like the mothership there in LA. It was called Sacred Movement. Um, and that's where I also did a lot of learning. Uh, it was fantastic because Shiva would attract students from all over the world. And when it comes to being accessible, not only is what she teaching is what she's teaching uh, sometimes rather esoteric, but also you have people for whom English is not their first language. 
And so I have to admit that I think I took some pride in being someone that those students could come to for almost like a translation, not literally in their language, but to kind of break it down and simplify things that were in depth and, and so interesting, um, but maybe a little hard to get at first pass. And so uh, I was constantly being challenged in the most wonderful ways, and that included also um, leadership in terms of being a, what was called the lead assistant, meant that you were also, in a way, mentoring uh, the other assistants. And some of these programs, sorry, were so huge that it required several assistants. So I was able to develop through that apprenticeship with them, I was able to develop more sensitivity, um, I like to think more wisdom, you know, over the years. Um, and so it's, it's all, all of that was an experience that I would never trade and that I would hope that um, my students are interested in investing in themselves through that same kind of apprenticeship with me because I know firsthand how incredibly valuable it is to carve that time out of your life. And, and that's where it gets hard because we're, as teachers, we're all trying to make ends meet and you know who's got the time to do more for quote unquote free. And uh, so it, it's, it's harder now to, to find the interest in making that level of commitment. But I attribute my apprenticeship with both of those incredible teachers to the confidence I feel as a teacher today. Mm, I think that is such a, radically amazing story that just like embodies student and it's Thank rare you. as you say it is rare you know I, I I know I appreciate it and I speak for everyone in our 300 hour how we can see the student show up in you as teacher because oh, you're you. so constantly just thank you interested <laughs> Thanks. No, thank you. So yeah, thank you for that. I, I wanted also to have you tap into the uh, the bill that was happening oh, last sure. year for yeah. our listeners, maybe outside of Colorado, who have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just give us a little, like, what was all that about last year? Well, okay, I'll try to give the, the condensed version. Um, so in Colorado last year, uh, it was really at the end of 2014, but it came to a head in early 2015. The state of Colorado, it was, it was basically in response to a complaint um, that the state received about the declining quality of yoga teacher trainings and that people were getting hurt and students were graduating from these programs uh, without a basic skill set, essentially, this was in this woman's opinion, but in a basic skill set to, to teach a wide range of people in a competent way that keeps them safe and so on. Um, so I really believe that the original complaint uh, has, uh, there's some truth to it. Um, I think that we see ourselves in a landscape now that's quite different from the original like guru disciple uh, um, model, which you know is you presented yourself as the student and in, absolutely in earnest, you know, ready to do whatever the guru felt was important for you to do. Well, clearly that's not the model here in the West. And even the model that we enjoyed back, like when I was telling you, when I was uh, taking teacher trainings, it was still different. Now, um, there's, to me, it seems like there's a little emphasis on um, having a lot of diversity in terms of let's cover a lot of things and here's all these teachers that are going to present it. And I see the beauty in that, but I also see the possibility of dilution. And so I, I feel like there's the possibility that as a student, you end up with having experience like a tasting menu you know, of a lot of things, and maybe you don't walk away with any feeling of confidence and competence in any, you know, few things. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, as well as, you know, what I'm not going to go into too much is that there now are more chain studios than there ever were uh, back in the old days. And part of the model for success of these chain studios is to run multiple teacher trainings a year. And so one could see that maybe the emphasis is on kind of the, the money generating aspect of teacher training versus lineage and handing and the transmission of the teachings. All right. So this complaint gets submitted and in Colorado, we have an, a, a, 
a group in the government called the, uh, the Division of Private Occupational Schools. And they regulate things like truck driving school and um, dog grooming schools and cosmetology and things like that. That's what they regulate. And that's where uh, the state decided yoga teacher training should, should fall. And that is, I, I found that very challenging. If you use the example of truck driving, there just aren't that many ways to drive a truck. So regulating truck driving schools, I can't imagine that it would be extremely complicated. When you look at all the different systems of yoga and philosophies about you know fitness versus those that are more therapeutic, I mean, on and on, so much diversity, it seemed unreasonable to me that one organization would be able to essentially wrangle all of these different modalities and regulate us effectively. Um, so I, at, the, at that point, Yoga Alliance um, inter, intervened and hired a lobbyist to help us uh, basically confront the state and, and say, this is, this is not a good idea. And basically, in short, the, the DPOS's response was kind of a talk to the hand. Those are you know, my words. They didn't say that. But, you know, talk to the hand. And if you, want, if you don't want to be regulated, then your only option is to get a state law passed that excludes you. And so our, we took our lobbyist, and I uh, took my enthusiasm and, and interest and engagement and started a Facebook group that was Yogis Against DPOS, Colorado Yogis Against DPOS Regulation. And I'm not kidding you, this surprised me. Within 48 hours, we had like 1,500 people in the group from around the state, and eventually uh, uh, 2,000 uh, over, over time. But that was really uh, a shock. I thought maybe a few of my friends and students would join in. So when that happened, then I knew this is, this is for real. So I'll, I'll give you the truncated version of the rest of it is that there was a group of us that went and testified in front of the uh, House Education Committee, the Senate Education Committee, and, then, and wrote thousands and thousands and thousands of letters to all of the legislators and we got feedback that, that they had not seen something of this magnitude in quite some time. <laughs> uh, and then we ended up uh, successful, and the law was passed with only one vote of nay. So uh, that law then exempts us. All right, so this is what we're doing here right now with the Colorado School of Yoga. Because I was going along teaching Gina Caputo, Yogini on the Loose, and having a great time. Um, but what I realized is passing that law didn't solve what may very well be a problem, which is people are coming out of teacher trainings, maybe ill-equipped mm -hmm. to teach a diverse group of people. Uh, so I asked myself, well, I have three options. One is just keep doing what I'm doing. Keep doing Gina's thing because it was fine. It was great. Okay, that's one. Another option is see if I can root out all of these teacher trainings that are maybe cranking student, uh, teachers out too quickly and ill-prepared. Maybe I could start that mission, which felt very negative and not sure that's how I want to use my life force. The third option was create an alternative. For those who are discerning that don't want to be part of a system where teachers are being cranked out, that really want to make an investment and a long-term investment in a community, I want to create that alternative. So... The models that we see now are either a studio training or maybe an individual teacher training. You know, and this would be a la, let's say, a Rod Stryker, which I still think of as being more that older, former model of guru-disciple. Mm -hmm. And maybe nothing really in between. So I decided uh, that instead of starting the Gina Caputo School of Yoga... I would offer a tribute to the state that really shifted my perspective in so many ways when I moved here in 2012 and create the Colorado School of Yoga. I feel like this is an influential state and I feel like this state attracts uh, people that are very energized and activated and, and interested in being change agents. And so it made sense to me to name it after the state. Yeah. And hopefully that also um, communicates an inclusiveness 
Uh, I feel like people around the country pay attention to what we're doing, uh, you know, in varying amounts, but I, I, I think they do. They notice as evidence with, you know, uh, marijuana laws and things like that. Uh, so here we have it, the Colorado School of Yoga, where our emphasis is on elevating yoga education, as well as elevating a sense of community amongst yogis, practitioners, and yoga teachers. And so these are my driving forces now are to create a space where people can come together to bring in extraordinary teachers with different areas of emphasis and different points of view so that people in Colorado and certainly worldwide, anyone that wants to come, uh, it's an awfully nice place to visit, uh, can get the, the education that otherwise you might have to travel to several diverse places to, to get. So that's what I'm working on now. And as you know, a big challenge was this build out. We have a brand new building, meaning it was dirt and now it's a building. <laughs> so that had a lot of challenges involved. And, and just now I am finally being able uh, freed up to kind of shift back to programming. And it's extremely exciting to try to create a balance between really educational opportunities, like diving into the nitty gritty of biomechanics and and philosophy and all these things but then also like create these really fun opportunities for the community to come together to see each other to move with each other to breathe with each other and and essentially in short celebrate life or as you say love life you know yeah i find that you are just such a connection catalyst for oh, the boulder yoga community thank you thank you you know um tapping in more about yoga education what is it that you would bring to awareness for our listeners, whether they teach yoga or they practice yoga in light of yoga education? What is fundamental about staying educated as a practitioner? Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of thoughts on the subject, but really the one that is kind of jumping up the most for me is I really firmly, truly, deeply believe in the power of this practice. Um, I, I think that it gives people who are committed to it uh, a feeling of being resourced out in the world. Uh, so make no mistake, for me, it is not about what we do in the room on the little piece of rubber uh, as much as how what we do in the room translates into our lives when we're not in the room. When your drum is damaged on a flight, are you feeling resourced to deal with that? So I really believe in the power of the practice. And I think that in terms of education, what the call loud and clear is for teachers that have a broad repertoire that can teach to a huge group of people versus, again, just those who are already interested, already feel comfortable strolling into a studio, maybe have a strong sense of embodiment and proprioception, or have some physical skill. I think it's wonderful that anyone that falls into those categories is, all, is practicing. Okay, make that, that, that's not an issue. But how do we get the people that feel apprehensive about coming to a studio or apprehensive about putting on the kind of clothes you would need to put on for yoga? You know, that's a big deal. Uh, how about, uh, you know, bending over awkwardly in public? Like these are things that it's easy to forget that they could be the reasons people don't practice. Or for that matter, look at what Instagram and, and other social media have done, even though they are great sources of inspiration, they can also be great sources of intimidation. This idea that you need to be able to do these things if you're going to be a yogi, a practitioner, mm -hmm. if you're going to join a yoga community. And so many teacher trainings, I think, set you up to be able to teach people that are about or slightly below your current level of expertise. What I think we need to do is seek continuing education in how to reach others, how to reach brand new beginners, how to reach the elderly, how to reach people that are trauma sensitive, uh, how to reach people uh, that have any um, physical impairment of any kind. Like, all right, let, let's, let's go now beyond uh, sort of the low hanging fruit, which is, 
people, you know, let's say in Boulder, where you value embodiment, you you value um, the philosophy, you know, you value just personal expansion. How do, let's let's rise to the challenge of the people that are maybe not standing at the studio door already, mm-hmm. and I think that's where educating yourself can not only uh, help you as the student teacher uh, feel more empowered when you step in front of a room, but it'll give you that breadth and depth that you need to reach more people and essentially be of greater service in this world. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. To be of greater service to this world. Yeah. That's the call. I think so. I agree. That's what I'm hearing. Yes, indeed. You know, this might be uh, my own assumption on you as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I feel like you feel that all yoga teachers should be required to know anatomy. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm going to say yes to that. Um, the thing about anatomy is it can be so daunting, so daunting, Ooh. all the names and the relationships. And, and, and to be honest, it, it's even though people think of it kind of as a hard science, there are still very differing opinions even within anatomy about whether this does that or does this or, you know. Is your psoas a hip flexor or a stabilizer? You know, on and on. There's still, even within the community, a lot of questions. So I do think it's very daunting. But as hatha yoga teachers, and let's remember, hatha yoga, unlike other yogas, involves your physical body. Right? Raja yoga, you could meditate. Right? Bhakti yoga, maybe you're you're chanting and, and making music and and going out and reaching the world in other ways. But this style of yoga very much involves your physical body. And so to not have an understanding, at least a basic, fundamental understanding of human anatomy and kinesiology, like how your body moves and relates, um, I feel like, yeah... it's not so much that I feel critical of people that don't. It's that I want to get to why don't you? And if it's because you feel intimidated by it or turned off by it, then I want to say, let's let's try another way. Let's see if we can talk about this a different way. Let's see if we can take a different approach so that you feel like you can digest it, so that you have an appetite for it. So, yeah, I mean, to what you said, I would say basically, yes, I think it's important for hatha yoga teachers to have an understanding of the human body since it really is uh, such a you know big part of of the teachings that we're transmitting i feel you i think that is just a beautiful perspective for for me in my own experience you know the first few years of practice i was so deeply involved in learning about my body and like this mystic realm of what yoga was unlocking in my heart Mm -hmm. and uh, the anatomy for me was incredibly daunting it was Mm -hmm. like i couldn't even fathom or i couldn't even touch it because my body was just you know weird Mm -hmm. and i can quote unquote do it sure and uh, throughout the course of meeting you and then stepping in here into your school you've really shown me this like beautiful abyss of interest in anatomy where I'm like just grazing the surface of understanding yeah and well I I think you're a great example of someone like maybe you didn't care for it maybe you're feeling your appetite being slightly stoked for it Uh, but you know the other thing is it it it's a lot of material and it takes a long time to really digest it all so my advice to you and, and anyone else that feels that way is to sort of relax around the process of integrating mm-hmm. that knowledge, but really focus more on keeping your curiosity alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you bring up a great point, which is that, you know, when, especially when you're newer to yoga or to teaching, when you're given the choice to focus on like everything that encompasses the heart chakra versus your rhomboids. You know what I'm saying? It's like, eh, one feels a little dry compared to the other. And so it makes sense to me that, that people are drawn to the power of the subtle body and everything we experience on the subtle level, you know, over what we in yoga is called anamaya kosha, the physical body. 
Um, but there is incredible power in, in understanding the, I mean, we, we call it like the, the mind body relationship is kind of what it's always been called, but, um, you know, this, there's this body mind feedback loop and like even the expression that you have on your face right now and how you're holding your body right now is impacting your energetic body, your psyche, you know, your, your chakras, all of that. Uh, and so it's, it's indivisible is what mm -hmm. I think, you know, the subtle in, in, in the case of our bodies, the subtle and the gross are indivisible and it's a-okay to be drawn more towards one than the other, because there are those that are drawn towards the anatomy and feel that the subtle body stuff is daunting because, you know, you can't prove it. You can't dissect someone's sushumna nadi to say for sure it's there. So for some people, that's the, the learning edge. You know, that's the like, ah. I think they're indivisible. And rather than contract around one or the other, is just try to relax around the process of integrating them. And, and truly, this goes back to your last question, is like look for the teachers that are maybe presenting it in a way that feels most resonant for you, that mm. feels like, oh, wait a minute, I, I think I might actually be able to get this. Mm. But I, I think of learning as being a lifelong thing. And so if you have any idea that like, I'm going to do this training and then I've totally got it, like <laughs> that we should just let go of. Because for me, think of how many times I've taught my 200 and my 300 hour training. And yet, every time I teach them, there, there's, there's more. Like I get something out of it. I get a new understanding or a new viewpoint. And, and that's, that is speaking to the power of community. Mm. Like I actually grow because of who's in the training and the questions they have and their perspective and what's interesting. So it, it kind of keeps going back to community in the sense that like, your level of engagement impacts my level of engagement, which impacts your level of engagement. You know, it's just amazing. Totally. So as long as we're sort of relaxed around the fact that we're going to learn until the day we die, as long as we have that appetite for learning, then you got all the time in the world. Mm. You know, you got all mm -hmm. the time in the world to become an expert. In the meantime, be curious and you'll be of service. Mm. You know, with that kind of segueing talks a little bit, you know, over the last four years, I've been a, a baby member in the yoga community and, and you've been so present and I've always seen you to be just an active person of observation. Hmm. You're always observing yeah. yourself. You're always observing others and you're observing the room. How do you feel, you know, using the tool of observation has uh, benefited your own growth as a yoga teacher? Yeah, well... I guess I'm, I'm continually seeing life, and this is you know in the studio, outside the studio, in the room, out of the room, whatever, as an opportunity to learn. Um, it's bearing witness, I think, is what mm -hmm. it is, and uh, I think if you look at life as, you know you could say a yoga teacher training, or you look at life as school, you know, you, you, there is something to be learned in every moment. And I guess one thing that I've really tried to do is kind of move away from my own personal hangups. I mean, we all have them, my own neuroses. Like if I let those be my main point of focus, I think about all the things I'm going to miss. So I've made efforts to tend to my own neuroses, but in a way that, I, so that I feel freed up to be observing and be learning and, and basically paying attention. As I'm talking, I guess what it kind of boils down to is, I have no idea if we were created by a creator or if we are a result of just the magnificence of nature, like, I don't know. I don't know, and I'm not sure anyone can know, know, you know? Um, but the bottom line is, I am certain that I am not here to be mediocre, mm -hmm. and that I am not here to just cruise through life half asleep. You know, I am, I am certain. That's the one thing I'm sure of. I don't know how we got here <laughs> or what's gonna happen when I die, 
But I know that this in-between time could not possibly have been so that I can just sort of float along. So I sort of hold myself to a standard of pay attention, learn, grow, evolve. You know, I think that life is an evolutionary journey and I'm engaged in it. I want to, I want to, you know, be the most that I can be. Mm. Yeah, I think that it'd be tragic. Yeah. And yet, I don't think it's uncommon. <laughs> it's hard. We're in the Boulder bubble. Everyone's fired up and engaged. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I thought about it. Like the, the one thing I dislike about Boulder is, well, there's a lack of diversity, which is a struggle. But, uh, but if I were talking like just like very practical things, one thing I, I, that I don't care for is driving around Boulder when you have to drive. Everyone is in a hurry. I, I feel like it's, it's unsafe to cyclists and pedestrians. And so it's easy to kind of go, oh, I hate the driving around Boulder. But one day I thought about it a little further and it occurred to me, I think one of the reasons that everyone is always in a hurry is because we are packing our lives full of things that enrich us. You might have someone that's, you know, going to do this and then they're going to do that and then this and then they're going to go tend bees somewhere and then they're going to go to a yoga class and then they go to this book thing and then they go, you know, it's like in, I still don't like the traffic, but I guess I understand that I'm in a community of people that are very engaged in living life and that that is not necessarily common across the entire country. So, you know, it, like you said, it's a beautiful thing, and yet I'm not sure that everyone feels the impetus to live that fully. Mm. And this is another place that I think yoga can clear the fog a little bit yeah. and maybe give people a sense that, that they want to sort of carpe this diem a little more, you know, and, and see how their lives are enriched and enhanced by the things they're exposed to and then the things that they may be able to teach by example. Mm. You know, when I have been in your public classes at the Yoga Pod in Boulder, mm -hmm. and uh, I feel that you do such a, don't, I'll use the word divine job oh. of how you <laughs> orchestrate clearing the fog. You're so raw and unapologetically <sighs> genuine oh. to the shit storm that you might be going through or that like maybe communities are going through yeah. without dragging your own story in. You know, you really make it again, accessible. And what I, I've found from, from taking your classes and, and, and practicing with you is that you take this, uh, I don't know how to use another word other than energy. Mm -hmm. You take this life force, you take this prana of the yoga and you put it into Mr. Worker who's sitting in a chair all day mm -hmm. who can't bend over mm -hmm. in that awkward forward fold. You weave in energy into the room in the most accessible way to 50 people from ages 24 to 65. Mm. You know, so through that, the most interesting question that I could ask you I feel is what is yoga what is energy in yoga hmm hmm well I'll give you my just riff answer you know because those are those are awfully big questions and I could really think about them and refine them so mm -hmm. I'll just riff and say <laughs> I have always thought that yoga is a practice of cultivating extraordinary consciousness and when you think about it that way, that's kind of like at the core, you know, living fully, being of service, learning, um, being a teacher by example, uh, whatever uh, work you do uh, professionally, I think all of those things can benefit from extraordinary consciousness. And, and when I say extraordinary consciousness, I don't really mean anything fancy. It, it goes back to that clearing the fog. Extraordinary consciousness is just simply non-ordinary consciousness. And without any practice or teachings, most of us are likely to get mired in ordinary consciousness, which is 
being maybe overly concerned with how people perceive you, uh, which is maybe uh, doing what you think you're quote unquote supposed to do. And what I'm talking about here is not like laws and breaking laws. I'm talking about, you know, people that feel like, well, I'm my family wants me to do this. I'm supposed to do this. Or, you know, as a woman, I can say this. I felt like that, you know, I was supposed to get married and definitely have kids. Well, look, here I am, almost 44, no kids, not going to have any kids. And it was, it was because of yoga that I actually got to kind of poke at this notion of what I'm supposed to do. And it was, it was because of yoga that I started to see all of these ways that I was living in what I will now call ordinary consciousness, just sort of going through the motions, you know, that I felt like, society and maybe to some degree family not so much my family but you know society was dictating for me to do and I think that it's it's easy for us to really fall prey to that ordinary consciousness which I think is um limited so what is yoga to me it is a practice and a, a body of teachings that give us the opportunity to transcend ordinary consciousness. And you can kind of decide for yourself, you know, what you think that means. For me, it is really based in seeing the interconnectedness mm -hmm. between us. So when you say, which I thank you for that, by the way, that I can speak skillfully to all manner of people, really what that is, is me tapping into that sutra of connectivity between us, which is humanity. Mm -hmm. We're all human. We're all susceptible to the same fears and the same joys. And, you know, it, it's like, it's not forgetting you're human. When you become a yoga teacher, you don't become something special. You become a servant of the life force. You become a servant of humanity, which is a beautiful thing. But for us to stay connected to that uh, and, and really seek to, to elevate consciousness you know if you want to take that all the way to like the cities the superpowers where you can you know um make yourself big or make yourself small or you can read other people's minds or you know it, it, you, you could you could say that that's extraordinary consciousness and i'm not going to necessarily disagree with you but i will also admit that those are not my goals when i go when as a practitioner nor as a teacher i'm not really interested in in superpowers i'm just interested in people having a clearer sense of both who they are, what their passions are, what they believe is important, and then also being able to really respect another human's uh, journey in, in discovering those same things and, and really see each other uh, through this lens of oneness or sameness. You know, even though you're into things that are a little different than what I'm into, there's a, more about us that is the same. Mm. And so I really like to speak to that, which is part two of your question, energy. You know, gosh, energy, like when you think about it, you can look at it as this really mystical thing. You know, like, oh, energy. And certainly the new age community has presented energy in a way that oh, I think this is for real. Like it has presented energy in a way with auras and chakras and things like that, that might make your average person uh, who isn't into that stuff or, you know, doesn't know anything about it. It can make them think that energy is something that new age people do, right? When energy is everywhere and in everything, right? So without energy, I am a bag of essentially meat, and a lot of fluid, right? A lot of water. Uh, but I, I'm, a, I'm a wet meat bag, you know? It's energy that allows me to animate in this world, where animate is both move with my physical body, which is amazing, communicate, mm. think, love, you know? Energy is what is enabling all of that. And that's why, as a yoga teacher, you have this opportunity to give people a safe space for the exploration of what their energy is, where it's drawn, where it's repulsed, where it can grow, you know, and do that in a space where other people are doing the same thing, which is like mind-blowing and amazing that a yoga class is an opportunity for you as the teacher to kind of usher that experience for people. 
you know, like I'm giving myself chills just thinking about it. Like that's an incredible privilege and an opportunity. And it's why I feel so passionate about yoga and, and empowered teachers. Those that see this as an opportunity and a privilege, not a pedestal, Mm. right? But a way to be of service in people's journey to discovering who they are, what they stand for, what can they do about it? You know, so energy to me is the underlying way we're all connected. You know, we've talked about a lot of, I think, uh, positive and motivating mm-hmm. keys to like progress. Yeah. Let's talk about like one challenge. You know, we were talking about that interconnectedness that yeah. we share. Yeah. What about, you know, where, where you and I, I'm into this, you're into that, and we might have this difference when mm. like frustration arises in those moments of yeah, this too I can use, you know, mm-hmm. when we find frustration from one individual to another, whether it's, you mm. know, opposite of conversation, argument, mm-hmm. such and such, how do we take that, the yoga and yeah. bring it in? When it's just like yeah. the last thing we want to do. Well, I have to say this. When you say a challenge or you want to focus on maybe some of the, the shadow side of, you know, yoga or the yoga community or, you know, or, or it's, it could be anything. It doesn't even have to be yoga. Like right now we're, we've got all this like political stuff going on. I, I feel very powerfully that fear is the underlying constant in conflict and acrimony and and frustration and you know if i am fearful of either my beliefs being threatened or my opinion being changed that fear is going to prevent me from having a conversation with someone who has a different opinion uh, and really just hearing them but if i'm without fear and I recognize that everyone is entitled to believe what they believe. I just say, hey man, whatever you believe, like do something with it. You know, don't just sit around with it. Do something with it that's of service. If I'm afraid, you know, I, I, can't, I can't listen to you and we'll go nowhere and we'll just butt heads, you know. Um, but if I have worked on my own fears, you know, if I have really, like I love a lot of food metaphors, but so I feel like... You know, like if you're tasting wine or, or some, I think of a food like, I think of like ravioli, which has this initial mouthfeel. And then once you bite into it, there's like, oh, what's in there? Oh my gosh. And then you're having this like secondary feel. So what I, 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 I think of metaphors like that when it comes to things like fear. Like I, when, when the shadow arises in me, what I, what I do and what I advocate is that we have the courage to really roll that around in our mouths a bit, taste it. Because man, I mean, it's bitter and it's awful. It doesn't taste anything like ravioli or wine, right? It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Think of the worst thing in the world. That's what fear tastes like. And you sit with it and you sit with it and you sit with it. And maybe not in one concentrated episode, but you sit with it whenever it arises and you have this willingness to sit with it and keep tasting it. Not to beat yourself up, but to understand it in the same way that like you and I could invest in understanding each other Mm. in a relationship. Mm. Understand it. And I feel like that's the way you transcend fear. You understand what you're afraid of. Mm. You understand how it limits you. You understand how it makes you feel mentally and then like viscerally in your body. Mm. You understand it so well that it ceases to have its power over you. And that, I feel like, frees you up then to be with someone who has a different opinion. And quite frankly, this isn't like a a pity thing, but you can see it in another then when maybe they have yet to do that work and they don't understand what's blocking them from us being in communion, even with our different opinions or our different interests. Mm. I understand why people have yet to do that work because it kind of sucks. You know, another metaphor that's not food. It's kind of like, I've said it before in teacher training, but it's like sitting in a poopy diaper. I've always thought, God, that's got to be awful. That's got to be awful, right? 
Especially like you're a baby and you have no control over taking this thing off. You don't have like the motor skills to rip this thing off. It's got to be horrible, right? And I, I, that it occurs to me that sometimes that's how it feels sitting with the shadow stuff. It's just this, ugh. But there's just some benefit. There's some benefit to kind of smelling your own shit to understand it, you know? Okay, that, 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 that just definitely got weird, but... Let's stick with the food metaphor. It's better. Oh, man. Thank you. You're welcome, I guess. (laughs) Gino, what would be three tips to offer to anyone who feels like their practice isn't moving? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I guess, okay, let me, I'll just riff. Uh, The first thought that comes to my mind is, like, what do you define as not moving or stasis in and why? Mm-hmm. Right? Because let's say you feel like your practice isn't moving. What does that mean? Like you, you haven't gotten any closer to Pincha Mayurasana or the splits or whatever. And then why is that your definition of an evolving practice or a moving practice, as you say? I would do that first, that work first. Then I have to say, seek a teacher seek mm-hmm. or a mentor. Like this, this is something that I think is undervalued. I, because yoga has changed in the, in the, I guess it's like in the marketplace, we call it. That sounds weird, but because the perception of teachers has changed, you know, uh, where we think of a teacher as the one who sort of makes a playlist and creates the sequence versus someone who's like a, a lineage holder or a wisdom bearer, we don't. I think it's we don't really seek them out um, in a in a more meaningful way, and it might mean that you need to look for a different teacher. So that that can often require some exploration, and that's one of the beautiful things of conferences and festivals and these events that are very abundant now than they weren't before. It gives you the opportunity to experience other teachers, which may be. Um, kind of a, a catalyst or has this enzymatic quality that'll give you a shift in perspective, you know, or some exposure that might help you shift your definition of what a moving practice is, you mm-hmm. know, one that is not in stasis. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it was three things. And I said, number one is ask yourself about your definition of moving and why, uh, maybe seek a teacher. And I guess the last thing that comes to my mind, which is sort of my answer for everything, is get your butt on a meditation cushion. Yes. <laughs> because, oh, that's, <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard and it's so wonderful. It's like y- you remove all distraction and it is so raw. And, you know, I, if, if, if you don't get any movement out of a seated meditation practice, then, then you definitely need to go to step two. You've got to get a teacher that's going to help you uh, find your way. But, oh man, meditation is where the rubber hits the road and it puts you under your own microscope and there is just really infinite opportunity for growth and evolution and, as you said, movement in your practice, mm. but that, that, that's, that's the way to do it. Get on that cushion and sit and watch and learn. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and then back to uh, your own journey. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a solemn question, but okay. bear with it. Okay. What's one thing that you want to do before you die? Oh, I don't find that solemn at all. Great. Oh, man. One thing I want to do before I die? You mean related to yoga? I don't know. All right. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you two things. One thing I really want to do is I would like to spend like at least a week in Tokyo with an expert, and I want to experience the most exquisite sushi in the universe. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's one thing. That's <laughs> yes. one thing I really want to do. Um, I've got lots of goals related to 14ers in Colorado and things like that, but I would say with yoga... Um, I, I really would like to, to, to really see this vision of the Colorado School of Yoga come to fruition. And what that looks like to me is just a vibrant, rich, diverse community. And that's a really big one for me is I want to see a lot more teachers of color teaching. I want to 
I, I want to see more teachers of, of uh, more gender diversity. Uh, I'd like to see um, more uh, like size and body type diversity. Uh, that's important to me and that's a part of this vision. Uh, so I would, I, would, I would die happy if I felt like I had done everything that was in my power to bring opportunities, at least, for that to happen. And that, that's where I'm focused right now. That's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, last question. What yeah. would be one little... You've given us many nuggets of wisdom, <laughs> but what would be one final nugget to leave our listeners as they carry forward with their days in practice on and off the mat? I've already said it, so it's not like a zinger that you could use <laughs> as clickbait or anything. <laughs> but it, it really, it's, it has served me so much is relax around the process. And I think the reason that that has been so powerful is because it both gives me a way to remember that I am on a journey versus I've arrived at a destination, right? I, it, it's that word process that's really meaningful. Well, I mean, relax is meaningful too, but process implies that there's no destination. It's the, you're in it, right? The, the, the journey is the destination. So not only does it give me the ability to kind of like, okay, these things are going to take time or, uh, you know, just to, to not try to rush something. Um, don't do like fast food yoga, you know, where you just shovel it down. Give things time to really appreciate their depth. Um, the other important piece of that little mantra, though, is that it reminds me in times where I'll admit, I feel frustrated around other people's pace, you know, where it's like, don't you want to wake up? Like, why are you messing around? How can you not get this yet? Like, why are you content being asleep? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I will feel those and witness those and observe those bubble up inside. And this can be in, in students. This can be in people that are in teacher training. This can be in my own home, you know, in our, in our families, in our friend circles. I bet every single one of us here can, can think of a time where you were just like, dang, like, how are you content like that? Yeah. And so the moment I witness that percolate up, I think of relax around their process, mm. knowing that we're not all going at the same speed and we all have different things pulling our attention into different places. And we've all had, like, this is why I'm so grateful to my teachers. And that woman, go back to the beginning of this interview, that woman who said, can I teach yoga at the beginning of this weightlifting class? Because had she not said that, that seed for me, yoga might not have been planted for a really long time. Who knows? Because I was being pulled in a different direction towards web development. And, you know, that, that was like before the dot-com boom. I could have gotten totally swept away and like making millions of dollars, you know. But there, this woman planted a little seed. Now, I'm grateful for that. And there are plenty of people that haven't had that woman or that seed. And so how can I expect them to be in the same place that I am in terms of what's interesting to me and what's important to me and all of that. Mm. So that, that has just served me both with my own like inner experience and in relaxing around exactly how, where others are when they're there. And all I can do is keep creating opportunities for that growth if they should ever want it and keep planting seeds, teaching by example, in case they should ever be interested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Gina, thank you so much for illuminating yoga and, and being the, the captain of Colorado <laughs> School. Oh, thank you. And I just I have to thank you for including me in such esteemed company. When I look at the other teachers that you've interviewed and those that you have in mind to interview, I, I feel a little aw shucks. So thank you. Uh, well, thank it's you. It's always such an honor to be here. And the space is beautiful. Thanks. I hope our listeners get an opportunity. Yes, listeners, come, come visit us. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Namaste, Namaste, Alec. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for listening to this inspiring episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Gina Caputo truly embodies the characteristic of teacher, and we are grateful to transmit her wisdom to you through this interview. 
If you teach yoga and want to further your studies of yoga, visit the Colorado School of Yoga.org and check out her training schedule for 2016 and on. If you're an avid student of yoga, check out her weekend workshops and community classes. The school is simply designed to elevate your inspiration in yoga. Yoga Revealed Podcast is a proud partner with the Hanuman Festival. Join Gina Caputo in this conscious community that holds transformational experiences and is created to raise the vibration. Hanuman Festival 2016 in Boulder, Colorado, June 9th to the 12th. Not only is Boulder incredibly beautiful in the summer, but it also provides you with the opportunity to practice with world-class yoga teachers. Thank you for tuning in to this enlightening episode. Please do visit yogarevealed.com and sign up for our email list. This is Alec Rubin, and I thank you for revealing yoga to your community. Until next time, may you be blessed and love life. 